Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. So glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we are so grateful. And so uh, today we are kicking off officially our series uh, that's gonna take us uh, for the next few months in the book of Luke, really looking at the life of Jesus. We sort of um, kicked it off just sort of in the Christmas season as we looked at Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, but today I just wanna kick off uh, this week's message with just a little introductory uh, information about the book of Luke. The book of Luke was written by Luke. Good job, guys. Uh, and uh, Luke was a close friend and companion of the Apostle Paul, accompanied him on missionary journeys. In Colossians 4, uh, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. He's, uh, he's the only New Testament writer clearly identified as not being Jewish. Uh, many people kind of consider Luke really the first uh, real church historian, the way we would think of it, and he wrote Luke and Acts as kind of a two-volume piece, and, uh, and, he, and he approaches it very historically, and those two books uh, count for about 27%, uh, 28% of the New Testament, and they're both written to the same person, this person, Theophilus. If you have your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter one, verse one, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke's saying other people have written about the life of Jesus. He's likely, at the very least, referring to the book of Mark. He says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So where we see in the, in the other gospels sort of written from a perspective more of eyewitness accounts, what Luke has done is spoken to many eyewitnesses to kind of compile this historical account of the life of Jesus. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So both Luke and Acts, both written to this person, Theophilus. The word Theophilus literally means friend of God. There's two or three theories about this. Some people think that that phrase Theophilus is just a generic phrase for Christians. Yeah, generic, just anybody who's reading this who loves Jesus is a friend of God. It's more likely to be written to a specific person by that name, some people think it might have been a Roman official, hence the kind of the phrase most excellent, uh, as, and, but other people, and probably the majority view, is that it was a Gentile, a non-Jewish Christian who, who had some influence, some wealth, some means, and this phrase, most excellent, simply a polite title for them. And, and so, like I said, we looked at Luke 1 and 2 as we went through the Christmas story. Today, we're going to catch up in Luke chapter 3, and, and we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist for a little bit. And the thing about John the Baptist is Jesus said, nobody ever born of women was greater than John the Baptist. And I think we can see th uh, three things in, in this account of, of John's ministry that I, I think if we will take to heart can really set us on a path to greatness in our life and specifically as we kick off 2024. So join me in Luke chapter three and verse one. 
It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. We see what we're seeing here is Luke's propensity to write through the, as a lens of a historian. He wants us to know this is not fable, this is not myth, this is actual history. It'd be like somebody saying, hey, back when Ronald Reagan was president and the Challenger exploded, people of a certain age remember it actually, and then other people remember hearing about it. He's saying, so when these people were the governmental officials, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, and Tetrarch of Abilene, so this is history here. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And now he's going to quote from Isaiah. We'll look at it again in a minute. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all peoples will see God's salvation. What we see here is John had a very specific, really two very specific purposes for his life, and he went all in on these purposes. John's purposes for his life, one, was to prepare the way for Jesus, and secondly, to fulfill prophecy. And John goes all in on it. I love people that go all in on things. And what we see in John is, as he goes all in on this, he's out in the wilderness, he's wearing strange clothes, he's eating bugs, he's sort of a wild man, and he goes all in on this purpose to prepare the way for Jesus and to fulfill prophecy. And so I want you to think about John like this. In ancient times, when there would be a king over an empire, if the king was going to go and visit a remote area in the empire, first he would send out a herald to let them know the king is coming, so make preparations. Uh, imagine if President Biden was coming to visit Reno on his way up to Tahoe, and imagine there was terrible graffiti all on, on the highway saying all sorts of terrible things, the people would, would, before he got here, would go and clean up all that graffiti because we don't want President Biden seeing all the mess. That's sort of what would happen. A herald would go before the king and say, the king is coming, prepare the way. And so if the, if the roads into the city were in disrepair, they would prepare those things and people would prepare for the arrival of the king. And that's what John is doing. He is, is preparing the way. He is announcing that Jesus is coming. And, and this is what was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse three. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. See, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so here's this big picture. In the, in the history of Israel, what had happened with God's relationship with the people of Israel is, is God had used people, spoken through people that represented him, whether that was Abraham or, or Moses or Joshua. And then we see in the era of the judges, these people that would be God's chosen deliverer, people like Gideon. And then we see kings like David and Solomon. And then we see prophets, people that were speaking for God as his representatives on earth. 
And, but what that had done was, was it would, we, we many times would see God use these people and help Israel out of a jam in the moment or, or they would be called back to turn back to God, but it would only bring a temporary sort of a provisional or even surface level change. And, but what Isaiah is saying is this, a time is going to come when it's no longer going to be God's representatives here, it's going to be God himself. He says, prepare the way for the Lord. That, that phrase, the Lord, it's, it's, it would be the equivalent of the Hebrew Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And so with this idea of John the Baptist Say, it being the one who is fulfilling this prophecy, preparing the way for the Lord, it's this idea that the one who is coming is God himself. And so he's fulfilling this prophetic aspect in Isaiah. He's, he's, he's this herald announcing that the king has come, the kingdom has come. And he's also sort of fulfilling this prophetic aspect of the belief that, that before the Messiah would come, that, that Elijah would come again. And so that's part of why we see this uh, aspect of, uh, of John's kind of persona, which we see uh, it is that we see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So he's wearing, like imagine I'm up here, I'm just wearing these super weird clothes and I'm just eating bugs and honey and it's like, this is fascinating. He was a fascinating character. He went all in on God's purpose for him. But what, what we see here is this was this picture of Elijah. We see 2 Kings uh, 1.8, it says, uh, he wore a garment of hair cloth with a girdle of leather about his loins. And, and, and then we see in, Ma, in Ma, Malachi, it's, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so Jesus said that, and if you can believe it, John the Baptist was this this kind of spirit or picture of Elijah, the one who would come and prepare the way for him. And so John had this very unique purpose for his life, to prepare the way for Jesus, this, this herald announcing the king is coming. And so make preparations. In doing so, he's fulfilling these prophecies. And so what we see, if, if we're going to pursue a life of greatness, a great first step is to go all in on God's purpose for our lives. Now, when we think about God's purpose, most of our energy should go towards thinking about God's universal purpose for all of us as followers of Jesus. The things that Jesus said life was all about. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your whole self, with your body, your mind, your soul. Go, love the Lord your God with your whole self. He says, that's the first commandment. And then he says, second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you do those two things, the entire law and the prophets are fulfilled in those. And, and then Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, gives these instructions to us as his followers. He says, go and make disciples and teach and baptize them, reach the world with me. And so really we sum it up at Life Church that really our, our purpose for as a church, but really our purpose as individuals can really be summed up with this idea of love God fully and love one another and then make a difference with our lives. That's the, a purpose that those purposes are what life's all about for all of us. But then also, God gives us specific callings and 
purposes and responsibilities that really are tied to how God shaped us and wired us, the the gifts that he's given us, the abilities that he's given us, the passions that he's placed in our heart, the opportunities and roles that he's placed before us. And so a path to greatness really begins by going all in on God's purpose for our lives, loving him, loving one another, making a difference, pointing people to Jesus, and then living out these good deeds which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the second thing that we see from John. That if I wanna live a life of greatness, passionately pursue deep heart level change. See, the thing is, deep down we know we need to change. That's what New Year's resolutions are about. We know we need to, now let's raise your hand. Who made a New Year's resolution? Raise a hand, raise a hand. Chris, you willing to share your resolution? You're like, I wouldn't have raised my hand if I knew I was gonna share. That's why I didn't say it. That was intentional. Say it, what is it, what is it? You're gonna be more loving for your wife. That's a great resolution. Robin, how's, how's week number one going at it? How's it going? So far, so good. Let's give it up for Chris. Week one, he's killing it. Someone else, resolution you're willing to share? Anybody, resolution? We have a, now you know you're sharing. Nobody has any. Nobody has any resolutions. You're not gonna have to share. I won't call on you. I'm gonna call on you. I just want you to know it. All right, no other resolutions. That's an what is mine? You know what I did last year? Um, I've not made one this year, to be honest. Last year, I was at a moment uh, where I was like, I don't need any more pressure in my life. And so I've got plenty. And so I made a resolution that I knew that I would be motivated to keep. And uh, it was to watch five Dallas Maverick games live. And uh, and so, and I fulfilled it. I saw it. And so, uh, and so that was my New Year's resolution. I wanted something that wasn't going to feel like more pressure because I was feeling plenty of pressure. And then Michael, our five-year-old, was asked, uh, Claire then says, because Claire was trying to lead us in a moment last year of New Year's resolutions, and I clearly wasn't in the moment for it. And so uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to watch more Maverick games. And so, uh, and then Michael, our five-year-old, Claire says, well, Michael, he went right after me. And uh, Michael, what's your New Year's resolution? And he said, uh, every time I go to the movies, I want to play video games afterwards. And, uh, and so he and I both kept our resolutions last year, and uh, we killed it. And so uh, thank you, Eric, for leading us into that moment. Um, so, <laughs> so this year I've not made one. Um, but the thing about resolutions is, is, is there's this recognition that we know we need to change, but, but the, the thing that we're gonna see here from John is, is that what we don't understand is just how deeply we need to change. And so let me show you this, Luke chapter three, verse seven. Now what we're gonna see here is a very strange few verses of scripture. Most of the time that I've come to read it, I have just skimmed through it and thought, that is strange. I'm gonna show this to you, Luke chapter three, verse seven. Jesus said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. And the brood, brood means offspring, you children. Vipers, snake. So I want you to get the context here. These people are coming to get baptized. They're not mocking John. They're not throwing things at John. They're not protesting John. They're coming to be baptized. And John's welcoming message to them is you are children of snakes. Happy New Year. And so... And then he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit, this is an important phrase, 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked, because this sort of harkens back to Acts 2, 38, where the Peter on the day of Pentecost is preaching, Holy Spirit falls, and people say, what must we do to be saved? It's a similar sort of phrase. The crowd asked, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized teachers. They asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do, he replied. Uh, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All three of the examples of what Paul, I mean, of what uh, John says is, is the fruit of repentance ha all have to do with finances and possessions. But, but here's what we see. Uh, this idea of repentance, this may be the most, if you kind of really dig in to this uh, teaching of John on repentance, it may be the clearest teaching of what is the essence of repentance in the New Testament. And so at its very root, it sort of pictures the, this idea of, of you're going, your life's going one direction and you kind of do a 180 and go the other, but, but it's, there's a whole lot really packed into these verses. Here's the first thing we see about repentance. We all need it. See, what John is talking to is a bunch of Jewish people, and most of the time that they would think about repentance, it would be about how the non-Jews needed to repent. They thought repentance was for somebody else. It goes to our propensity to when we think about bad sins, it's always the bad sins other people do. And, but what we see here is where we all need repentance. And so what John says is, he says, you're thinking that you're children of Abraham and you're all good. You think you and God are all fine. And he says, the fact is you're not. He says, we all need repentance. And what we all need is we need to repent over and over. We sometimes think primarily of repentance being something that we do when we first come to Jesus. And it is. It's, a, it's, it's, it's that first moment of Big, big idea, repentance. And so Peter's preaching and, and the day of Pentecost, they say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. It is this first step in following Jesus, but it's also an ongoing lifestyle. Because here's the thing, if repentance is this idea of I'm, my life's going this way and I'm living life for myself on my own terms, going my own direction, and then I repent and I turn to begin to live as the followers of Jesus, we all know that like the old hymn says, we're prone to wonder. We have moments where we kind of begin to kind of drift this way again and, and we repent again. And uh, what well, we see in 1517, Martin Luther as he was kicking off, was, became the Protestant Reformation. And the, the context here is and the Catholic Church had, had, uh, had become misguided in meaningful ways. And the biggest picture of that was this idea of, of instead of repenting of your sin, you, you could just give a lot of money to the church to build some beautiful cathedrals all across Europe, and, uh, and then you don't have to repent, you just have to give more money, but you could continue to sin. Or your family member who had lived a very sinful life with no repentance, who was now at what they would say in purgatory, if you give enough money to build a big cathedral, then they will get out of um, purgatory. And so Martin Luther lists these 95 issues that he had with this whole false teaching and, and what, what his number one thing he wrote on his, his list of 95 was this. 
He says, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said repent, willed, get this, that the whole life of believers should be repentance. So this idea of, of coming to recognition of I don't need to keep living life on my, on my own terms, going my own direction, doing my own thing, and turning from my sin and following Jesus, it is both a one-time big moment when I become a follower of Jesus, but it's this ongoing repentance. And so repentance is for everybody. Re repentance is an over and over every day kind of thing. Repentance is a change of actions but it's so much deeper than that. The Greek word for repent, metanoia, it's this idea of, of a change of heart, change of mind, that then leads to a change of actions. And so what, 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 uh, uh, what, what John here says is he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so the fruit of keeping in repentance was, hey, be generous. If you have to, give one. Don't cheat people. Have integrity at work. Those are the fruit of repentance, but, but, but that's not what repentance is to begin with. It's a much deeper issue. See, what he's saying is our problem is much deeper than we realize. And so when, well, here's what's happening. When, when John says, the ax is being laid at the root. See, what many of us do at New Year's is we say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm gonna exercise more and eat better and save more and go to church more. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, what John is saying here is he's saying, you don't need to turn over a new leaf. You need a whole new tree with a whole new root system. The problem is much deeper than you realize. The ax is being laid at the root. And, and so when he greets them by saying, you children of vipers, as his welcome time, as the kicking off his worship service, what he's doing is he's, he's saying, you're, you, think, if you think you're all good because you're children of Abraham. He says, but as much as, any, as much as you are that, man, you're children of the devil. Because you're believing and living by the same lie that our first parents believed. See, see the, the devil's goal with, was, was less to get our first parents to eat a piece of fruit and more to get them to question God, to question, can you really trust him? Did he really say? And well, the reason he doesn't want you to do this is because he knows that when you do this, you'll become like him. He's, he's holding out on you. He's not for you. Your best life's not gonna be with him on his terms, trusting him. He's not trustworthy. And so the issue is less about the things we do and more about the reasons we do them. And so our problems are much more, much deeper than we realize. It's these heart issues of motivations and passions and desires. It's so much deeper, it's, it's, it's why, what are the things we're believing that are causing us to do these things? What are the motivations inside of us that are causing us to do these things? And so, so John's not saying, hey, be generous and, 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 and have integrity, that's what repentance is. He says, no, that's gonna be the fruit of repentance. What real repentance is, is realizing, I mean, I, I need a whole new root system of my life. I need some whole new foundational beliefs. This is what we would think of in terms of, of like renewing our minds or sanctification, this process 
where the Holy Spirit is making us more and more having the character and the mind of Jesus. And so we recognize that, that our problem is much deeper than I realize. And so what happens is when I recognize that I don't just need to turn over a new leaf. If I just need to turn over a new leaf, then a prophet coming to give me tips will do the trick. And if, if I just need to try harder, a list of laws will do the trick. But if my actual issue is this deep heart issue, what I actually need is God himself. And so John is saying, hey, Yahweh is coming, and he's going to pr produce internal transformation through the power of his spirit. That's why Jesus is coming. And so when I recognize how deep my problem is, what happens is I recognize just how deep desperate I am for God. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's saying is, blessed is that person who recognizes just how absolutely spiritually bankrupt they are and how much they absolutely need God. And so path to greatness begins by, by recognizing just how desperately I need God to change me on the inside. Here's the third thing and we're done. What we see here in John this path to greatness in good times and in bad, always be looking to and pointing others towards Jesus. Let me show this to you. Luke 3, verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Can you imagine being John here? And, and everybody thinks, well, maybe this, is, maybe this is who we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the Messiah. And I think there would be an instinct in all of us to, even if we weren't going to steer into that and say, yes, it's me. I think I would have an instinct to let it linger a little bit. And hey, I can see how you might think that. And I'm not 100% sure. But what John quickly does is he just points them to Jesus. Let me show this to you. He says, uh, John answered them all. It's not me. He says, I'm baptized you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news or the gospel to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, because now what we see is a little foreshadowing to the future here, uh, because of his marriage to Herodias, his stepdaughter, his, 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 uh, his brother's wife, uh, his sister-in-law, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all and he locked up John in prison. What we see in John over and over and over again is, is when things were going great, he was pointing people to Jesus. And he's, he's doing it here. When G, we're going to see next week when he, when he baptizes Jesus, yeah, Jesus comes to get baptized, and, and John could again be thinking, man, I'm, I'm baptizing Jesus. It doesn't get any better than this. But what does John say? He says, hey, it's not me that, that should be baptizing you. It's you that should be baptizing me, he's, again, pointing people to Jesus. He would say, he must increase, I must decrease. When things were going awesome, he pointed people to Jesus. And the principle for us is in, in moments when life is going great and, and the temptation might be to make it about us and point people to us and think much of ourselves, we, we turn our own attention and the attention of others towards Jesus. 
But then Luke foreshadows to the future when life's not going great for John, where he ends up in jail. And what we, we see later in Luke is, is, is John's in jail, and, and he's in a moment of discouragement and doubt. And he's wondering, is, is Jesus really the one? Let me show this to you, Luke 7, verse 18. John's disciples went and told John about the things Jesus was doing, and then G John calls two of them to himself. He says, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So what we see with John is there was a moment in his life where life didn't go the way he thought. Anybody have anything happen in 2023 that wasn't what you quite thought? Wasn't on your vision board for 2023? It's in a moment life's not going the way he thought. And he thought that, that, that Jesus was gonna kick off this, this messianic kingdom and, and, that, and, that, and that him being in jail, awaiting being beheaded, wasn't a part of his vision board. And he's, he's discouraged and it's causing him to have doubts. And what encourages me is if John can get discouraged and have doubts after baptizing Jesus, hearing the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the dove falling on Jesus. If John can still, when life gets hard and doesn't go the way he thinks it's gonna go, if he can begin to have doubts and say, hey guys, go, go ask him. Man, are you the one or should we look for someone else? But what we see with John is when discouragement and, and doubt came, he took it, to Jesus. And so what we see here with, with John is this idea that when life's going awesome, turn your attention and the attention of others to Jesus. And when life's going terribly, turn your attention, take your disappointment, take your doubt, take it to Jesus because he can handle it. And so what we see is we kind of go into this year, I just wanna encourage us, let's go all in on God's purpose for our lives to love God, to love one another, to make a difference, go all in on the specific things he's called us to. Let's take in great moments, let's turn our attention and focus to Jesus and difficult moments, let's turn our attention and focus to Jesus. But I wonder if maybe for the biggest thing that we can really take from this passage is let's ask God this year just to do incredible amounts of deep, heart change, that, that this year wouldn't be as much about us just trying harder, and it wouldn't be us just white-knuckling it but, and, and, and having exterior change, but that this would be a year where we really ask God by his spirit and using his word and using his family, the church, that, that, that this would be a year that we would experience by, by God's grace, incredible inward transformation, the deep heart change that we need. Why don't we pray together? Father, we love you, and Lord, we do just confess that we don't wanna just try harder, and we don't wanna just white-knuckle it to just do better, but God, that what we really need is your just continuing, transforming work of our hearts and our minds and our desires and our motivations and our passions, and so we 
confess our need for you, ask that you would continue that work in our lives more than ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.